contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Hey there, boys and girls, and welcome back to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brand. I've got Sally Jenkins, the eminent writer for the Washington Post. She's here. She's going to talk about Roger Goodell, Jerry Jones, ineffective leadership at the top. She calls for change there, empathizes with what Jones is doing and talking about. Get to her in a second. First, a word from our sponsor, Hewlett Packard. You know it's time to upgrade your old and aging tech because it's costing you time and money. Upgrade to a new HPPC. They are one step ahead of hackers and thieves and unauthorized users, the best for IT security. They have secure and manageable PCs and printers, a dedicated sales team, three-year standard warranty, and excellent pricing with free shipping and returns every day. So here you go. Right now, my listeners can go to www.hp.com sports, enter my code sports, that's all caps, S-P-O-R-T-S, you can save a whopping 35% on select HP business products with Intel. Core processors, you also get a three-year standard warranty on select PCs. Free shipping store-wide. Again, go to HP, that's www.hp.com sports. Enter my code, all caps, sports at checkout. Save 35%. On select business PCs, what a deal that is. See website for complete details. HP changing the game in PCs and printers. I wanted to get into what's going on in the NFL. There seems to be power struggles with Jerry Jones, the most powerful, or one of certainly the most powerful owners in the NFL, and of course, Roger Goodell. This is happening. It's very public. It's out there in the middle of this eventful year with concussions, with social protests, with leadership issues at the top and all of that and who better to come on and talk with me about it but my friend and longtime colleague sally jenkins washington post eminent writer she wrote this week about sort of this goodell versus jones power struggle wanted to bring her in and and riff on this stuff welcome my friend thank you thank you for having me as always as i said this nfl year just i mean you and i talked about concussions with in the off season with Tom Brady's wife and and sort of the hiding of concussions, but that was just kind of a uh, warm up for what we've had this year. Before we get to Goodell and Jones, your thoughts generally on the NFL as it stands today? Social protests, everything seems to be a crisis of the moment with the league. Well, you know, I, this is one argument uh, for a new commissioner. To be honest, you know, I've, mm-hmm. it's my been my opinion for quite a while that. Roger Goodell is the wrong guy to to take the league forward on some of these issues. You know, he's essentially a, a guy who spent his entire working life inside the NFL office on Park Avenue. And, you know, I feel like um, they need some fresh leadership and some fresh eyes. And I don't think I'm alone on that. I think some owners are starting to feel that way, too, because there are too many, you know, concussions are the, the low-level radioactivity that they've been dealing with day in and day out for several years, but now you're having these, you know, these flashes and explosions of public issues as well, none of which have been handled very adroitly by the league uh, office. You know, things always seem to become a bigger deal. Uh, Do you think they become a bigger deal because of leadership or because the intense 24-hour focus on this Goliath that is the NFL you think there's a combination there, or you really chalk it up to ineffective leadership? 
Well, I don't think you can blame it on the new media because the NBA doesn't go through this and the NHL doesn't go through this. And, you know, the, if the other pro sports leagues were experiencing these constant uh, crises, then I would say, yes, it's, it's, it's the new life uh, in the media for these professional sports leagues. But, mm-hmm. in fact, we don't see that. We see, we see the NBA experiencing, you know, more, more peace and we see the product on the court you know the Warriors and the and the Celtics. You know are the story and not not the peripherals. And with the NFL, it seems like more and more it's always the peripheral that is the story. And what do you you know? I, we haven't talked about these social protests. It's kind of dominated the season, even though it does to the NFL's delight. I think seem to be petering out somewhat. Well, we're just coming off Veterans Day, so maybe that's a not an accurate sample size, but. It seems to me this is something, and I'm going to defend Roger Goodell here because he's reached out to players. He's had these meetings. We can debate whether there was true value in these meetings with, with players. But while he's doing that, he's getting criticized by sponsors and other owners. Why are we treating these players like equals? Why aren't we moving on? Inmates running the prison. So in terms of that, it just seems like Commissioner has a no-win job here in trying to manage the protest angle. Agree or disagree? Agree. I, that, that's a terribly complicated issue, and I'm not sure there was any handling that one uh, particularly well. And I, I actually thought and wrote that it was probably the commissioner's best job mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In, in handling all that stuff. I thought he did just right. I, I thought the league's tone was, uh, particularly initially when, when Trump attacked the league from you know right at the outset, I thought the league's response was was terrific, and I, I thought they did the right thing, and I think that, that they have understood that each owner has a different challenge because they have different constituencies. Uh, you know, Jerry Jones has a different constituency with Carswell Air Force Base mm-hmm. nearby and with, with you know, Rob Marin, Rod Marinelli on his sideline who served in Vietnam, and, you know, every owner... Um, has a different challenge. The Yorks, on the other hand, in, in out in San Francisco, have a, a different constituency, and so they all have to handle it slightly differently. And ultimately, they have to handle it in their own offices and their own locker rooms with their players face to face. You know, the Cleveland Browns and the Haslam's did a great job of that. I think that in some ways, the Haslam's in Cleveland almost set the template for uh, how to handle it with sensitivity towards the players and an open ear towards the players and yet also draw in local law law enforcement and make them feel heard as well Mm -hmm. and to sort of broker, you know, an interesting discussion and compromise. And I think think that is what you've seen happening, and that's why this past weekend went as smoothly as it did and why you see it start to begin to sort of simmer down a little bit, you know. So I do credit Roger Goodell for that. I, I, I wouldn't deny him credit on that front. I thought... For the first time, actually, in his tenure, I thought he handled something very well. Yeah, I think that's a yeah. tough role because you want to be solicitous of players. But I was told, you know, and you you mentioned it, in those meetings, there were owners that said, why are we treating them like equals? We've never done that. And, I, you know, Sally, I was in NFL meetings for 10 years. I never, ever saw a player in those meetings. So and I think it was different. I, I, yeah, you know, you, you you and I both know there's a reckoning coming on that front. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think the next labor negotiation is going to be a really interesting time for the league, and I think I think there are some some younger 
owners who have slightly different attitudes. I, I don't, you know, I think the old days of we're the ranchers, you're the cattle are right. over. Right. I do think there's a hardcore sort of cadre of owners who don't uh, think that that day has arrived yet and don't understand why the players should be their partners rather than their underlings and their employees. And, you know, that mental shift has yet to really take hold among the ownership, I think, but I do think it's coming. I mean, it's, it's, necessary i think uh i i just don't see how the league can continue to you know operate without having a you know just an absolute major player revolt well you know i agree with you on that you and i have talked about this i think this sort of lazy talk about for players to get the, what they want they have to strike and just sort of armageddon is the only way to go i just think there's going to be issues that player leadership stands up for and they need the right union leadership to be behind them. And it doesn't have to be all, you know, all locked into a strike over whatever issue it's going to be. That's why I think these negotiations have to be happening in fits and starts leading up to 2020 or 2021 rather than this kind of, yeah, we'll just wait and strike. That's never a good strategy in my mind. I I wouldn't think so. I, I also, I think both sides understand that it, that, that sort of binary negotiation is not in anybody's best interest. It's only going to lead to trouble. Right. And I, I do think that's, that's why you've seen uh, some owners be, you know, for lack of a better word, more open-minded than others when it comes to addressing player concerns, working with them on social justice issues, because, you know, uh, quite honestly, you know, to, to dig in and, and uh, say, oh, everyone's got to stand at attention for the national anthem, and we're not going to put up with this from from the rabble. You know, if you, if you Marie Antoinette it, you're asking for real trouble, and you're asking for race war in your locker room. Right. Two other things on this social protest issue before we leave it. I, I do want to get back to your comment about the NBA, because somewhere along the way, I'm a lawyer, I look at policy and precedent, somewhere along the way, and I don't know how long ago, the NBA crafted a policy towards the national anthem that everyone must stand. And somewhere along the way, the NFL crafted a policy that did not require that. I think that's the genesis of all this. What's interesting to me is NBA is seen as the much more progressive league, and rightly so, and very responsive to player concerns. But if they had that policy in there, crafted however many years ago, 20 years ago, you wonder what would be happening now. You wonder if players would take that step to not just lock arms and actually kneel and what response that would be, because that would be kind of a test case from a league that is much more progressive, especially on race relations. Well, sure. And and the interesting thing about the NBA is that, you know, I think the players accept, you know, some of that because it is progressive league and because Mm -hmm. they don't feel, uh, they don't feel shut down or shouted down uh, to the extent that NFL players do. Uh, they, you know, they've had their own battles. I mean, remember Donald Stern and, and I'm sorry, David Stern and tattoos, sure. right? Yep. Uh, you remember the Iverson explosion, you know? And so, I mean, in some ways, the NBA kind of fought some of this out uh, a few years ago. I, I, I think the suppression of a certain amount of discussion around the NFL, I, there's been a bit more of a culture of fear in the NFL. I, I mean, you would know this better than me, but, you know, players are very... Uh, 
have been, I think, very nervous about taking on ownership mm-hmm. um, in the NFL. I think they've been. I, mean, I think there's been some trepidation, the lack of job security, uh, the lack of guaranteed contracts. I, I, I think it's inhibited players in some ways, and so I actually find it. I find it more than a little courageous. I think. Uh, I think. I think the, these players, these NFL players, have been very reluctant to take on on ownership. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, the tenuous job security, the, guarantee, the lack of guaranteed contracts, and the fact that, you know, I, I think there there was reason for the sort of you're the cattle, we're the ranchers, because of the incredible number of players uh, versus, you know, jobs. And that's always going to be the case in the NFL because there's a sense that, you know, the bottom third to half of the roster can be changed over regularly and, for, in fact, is on some teams. Um, you know, here, here's what interests me, Andrew. Historically, you had owners like Lamar Hunt and Al Davis, mm-hmm. who were, uh, you know, billion, you know, gazillionaires, and I think probably politically conservative, and yet socially, on social issues, you know, quite open-minded, quite, um, you know. Uh, I mean, actually, you know, Al Davis, look, there's, there has been no greater force for social justice in the league than Al Davis. Uh, Jerry Jones respects those owners. I mean, I think he revered them to a certain extent. And so, you know, I, I, I don't think it's fair to say NFL owners are all, all have this rancher mentality. I think there was actually a very rich vein among the ownership uh, for a while uh, in which you could be very, very wealthy and a prosperous businessman and yet also have social justice very much in mind in the league. For some reason, that sort of went away, weirdly, and I don't know exactly why. Um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I do think this really is, having been a team executive, I just feel, not feel, but I understand because they want to be solicitous to the players. They're the most important constituency but you have, pick them, fans, sponsors, even the president, you know, just saying, let's get back to sports. You know, we don't want this. And networks, frankly. So how do you respond to that? I talked to, you know, my old colleagues in Green Bay. And, you know, they're, they're like, no, you know, we don't want that in our game. And we're hearing, I'm, I'm saying they're hearing that from fans. And, yeah. uh. Like you said, that's the Dallas constituency, that's Midwest. Maybe it's different on the coasts. But again, this is a tough issue to manage. You have lauded Roger Goodell. I guess the last point about this would be remiss without mentioning the name that, I guess, absolutely started it, which is Colin Kaepernick. You know, I've been on record throughout the summer into the season saying, do I think he's being blackballed? I've been saying no. But then if you ask me, do I think teams take into account much more than his football ability? Of course they do. So I guess the question is, between blackballed and that, is there a gray area? Or are we at the, situ- are we at the point where we have to say, yes, I mean, they have taken an action against him. Although I don't think it's collusion, because collusion requires concerted action. But I do think there's something to be said now that I have not been willing to admit in the past with him. I just think he's clearly radioactive. Otherwise, he'd be on a roster, given all the injuries and the the problems that you see at the quarterback position, you know. 
Um, now, you know, a lot of people also overstate the you know how poor quarterback play right. is once a star, star goes down. I mean, so you look at Keenum yesterday, right? Um, you know, I mean, that's a guy who can really play, and everybody I think was was you know you know suffering fainting spells over him sure. you know a few weeks sure. ago. So, uh, so in all fairness, you know, I, I think I think teams can rightly say we're happy with the guys we've got. You know, they may see something in practice with a guy that the rest of us, you know, idiots on the sidelines, the press who don't really know how to appraise quarterback play particularly, will sit around and say, oh, Colin Kaepernick's so much better than what some of these teams have on the roster. Well, we don't particularly know that. You know, yeah. I think it's easy to say that. But, uh, but yeah, the longer it goes on, you, you, you do say, look, there's got to be a place for this guy somewhere in the league, and why wouldn't somebody pick him up? Now, once you sue over collusion, you know, I don't know any employer that, that would pick up somebody. You know, look, everybody knows, every working person knows the quickest way to be out of work and have a hard time getting another job is to sue. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to me, I mean, Garagos is a, is a Hollywood lawyer. I mean, to me, that is all a leverage play. Now, it sounds like how can you use that as leverage? When you, but... Of course, of course. If a team says we're going to sign you, the suit goes away. I mean, I, I, I'm saying that's 100%. I don't know that to be the case, but it just seems obvious that this is kind of a last-ditch effort. Like, hey, you know, you sign us, the lawsuit right. goes away. And I guess the last point on Kaepernick I've always said is that he's a much bigger story unsigned than he is signed. Yeah. He has become, I don't even think it's too... Uh, grandiose to suggest this word he's become this mythical figure uh, by not signing and by not talking and having so many others sort of espouse his message and look what's happened not only the sitting not only the kneeling but you know you had that doug baldwin roger goodell co-signed letter to criminal justice reform and legislative offices i mean that doesn't happen without kaepernick so he has become something bigger than a football player and you wonder, does he really want to sign? Because he's doing a lot of uh, a lot of powerful work without being signed. Well, here's the other thing too. Can you imagine the pressure of trying to play? Yeah. Uh, if he did get signed, if he were to come back to the league and he and he did get signed, and you know he goes out on that field. Let let's say he's you know someone else goes down and he's he, he's in the game, and now he hasn't he hasn't played football in over a year, and he's had all of this. Uh, you know, publicity and notoriety, and now he's out there. Now he's got to go play and prove that he deserved a spot on a roster. Yeah, I, yeah. I, that's that'd be tough. That would be a tough performance. You know, uh, I hope he gets the opportunity. You know, I think he deserves a shot. Um, but I, you know, I, I really think the NFL part of the problem with the league in general on all of these fronts is that they have to be. Uh, it, it's frustrating if you love the league, which I despite everything I write, it's frustrating to see the ownership and management in the NFL get dragged kicking and screaming towards resolutions uh, that, that seem doable to the rest of us, you know. And I think that Jerry Jones, quite frankly, has had this experience with the economics of the league, you know, the idea that teams might be better off, in, you know, negotiating their own individual mm -hmm. sponsorship. Okay, the, the 31 other owners had to be dragged by the roots of their hair towards that realization by Jerry Jones. Right. No, and I, I saw that up close. Very, very slowly. I saw that yeah. up close. Change, 
I mean, any kind of change or rethinking or reset button comes very, very grudgingly in that league, and I don't know why, but it's a very intractable league. And you're, I mean, I think you have articulated why, and we'll get into that now. Do you think that is from the top? And what about Roger Goodell, his background, his leadership style, his management style, do you think makes the sort of plotting along happen that you're talking about? Well, I, I think you have to look at the average age of ownership, first of all. And, and you know, I, I think you've got a lot of, a lot of, of aging, aging owners um, you know, I, th- I want to say the average age of NFL owners, is, it's well over 70, I believe. Um, now, you've got, you know, you've got younger crafts and, and younger Maras and Tishes sort of waiting in the wings and younger right. Joneses and, and that sort of thing. And, and, you know, look, you know, age doesn't, is not necessarily an obstacle um, in terms of innovative thinking. I mean, but uh, that said, I, I just, I, I keep saying that the league needs some new eyes, you know. And Roger Goodell is a lifetime intern. Let's face it. You know, he started at the league as an intern. He's never worked outside of uh, the Park Avenue office. He has no other business experience. He has no other worldly experience. Adam Silver is a lawyer and a former prosecutor. I mean, a U.S. attorney, uh, deputy U.S. attorney in the for the Southern District of New York, which is the single most elite uh, legal environment in the country. Mm-hmm. This, is a, this is a deeply experienced man and thinker and lawyer. And the NFL has a lifetime intern as their commissioner. And I just think that that is the difference in the operations of the two leagues. And what, you may have hinted at it when you talked about Adam Silver, what, let's say the commissioner's out today, let's make up clean slate. What, uh, prototype commissioner would you select? Well, I think you need a commissioner who has, you know, pretty deep uh, education in, in legal issues. I, you know, a lawyer would not hurt. Mm-hmm. I think I think one of the things that has troubled Roger Goodell's uh, administration has been his reliance on a not particularly terrific legal department in the NFL. I think you need a commissioner who's got his own ideas and his own judgment on some of these legal issues. I think, I think Goodell's probably gotten some pretty bad advice. Uh, I don't think he's been the greatest client in the world either. But, you know, I, I think it doesn't hurt uh, to have that kind of uh, legal experience. You've got to have some, uh, some media expertise, you know, or at least right. some, uh, you know, some cognizance of, of the new media challenges so that you can help kind of arbitrate um, the decision-making that's going to be, you know, the discussions about business strategy at the ownership level. You know, you're, you're, you're essentially there to kind of play referee as the owners figure out what the right path forward is uh, from a business standpoint. Right. You know, so uh, you have to be a bit of a hybrid. And quite honestly, I think you have to have some prestige. Mm-hmm. I think you have to have... Uh, a certain amount of charisma and personality to go into some of these ownership meetings and, and impress your judgment on people. And I don't think Goodell has had that. I think he has been the pawn of different ownership groups, and I think that's really hurt the league. And do you think Jerry Jones' challenge in recent days, weeks, months, is related to all the things you're talking about or more specific issues it just seems it, it seems almost trivial that it would be all be about 
Ezekiel Elliott, even though it just seemed to have emanated after his suspension. But I guess what I'm sort of getting your opinion on, because I, whatever issues he has with Goodell could not be solely sourced from the Ezekiel Elliott suspension in my mind. And what do you see as well, right. the real issues here between Goodell and Jones? I think the real issue is is what Jerry Jones, exactly what Jerry Jones said it was the other day. Uh, he said that the Ezekiel Elliott situation was a, quote, overcorrection. And I think that there's a pattern in this commissioner's behavior. He goes from one overcorrection to another across the board. And it is a very unsteady managerial trait. And I think it has hurt the least. Uh, I, I, I really, you know, I think some of it, you know, I, now I'm guessing based on my limited interaction with him that it stems from a certain amount of psychological insecurity. I think he's always striving to prove that he's a bigger man or a bigger commissioner. And, uh, you know, you, you, <laughs> you just wonder why he needs to flex his authority quite so much uh, and create messes where, you know, uh, there don't need to be messes. You know, the Ezekiel Elliott... You know, it wasn't there. The evidence was not there. In Deflategate, it wasn't there. Why the commissioner felt the need to create, you know, uh, two years of controversy and investigation uh, followed by a decision that absolutely nobody can justify or explain uh, is beyond me. But let me ask you, do you think it's him? I and mean, we've just talked about how he's, whatever you want to call it, a uh, mouthpiece or spokesman for these owners who are, yes, older and maybe don't have the same uh, progressive thoughts of other owners in other sports. So do you think it's him? When we talk about overcorrections, and of course it looks like an overcorrection from the from the Ray Rice days, do you think it's him? Or do you think I he's do. getting think directions from some of these other owners you talked about? Well, I think it's a combination of, of those two factors. I, I think it's his personality joined to the fact that his way of consolidating power is to play one owner or one interest group off another. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think, it's, I think it's very interesting that the person who solved the Los Angeles situation was Jerry Jones and not the commissioner. I think the, there was a great you, – you are probably have an ear closer to the ground on that one than, than I ever could. But right. I think there was a great – I heard there was a great deal of frustration from the ownership towards Goodell that they felt like there was no progress made on that, on that up front for the longest time. Uh, and, and finally, the person who, who came in and sorted it all out was Jerry Jones. Uh, he's the guy who got on the telephone and started calling, you know, 30 other owners and, and explaining why, you know, it had to happen the way that it did, why certain teams had to go here and why certain owners didn't have deep enough pockets to deal with the stadium right. issue in L.A. Right. So, you know, uh, look, I, I think it's both. I, I think Goodell's disciplinary behavior stems from a central lack of authority, to be honest. Hmm. It has certainly defined his tenure. I've called him the conduct commissioner. It's something, that is something I think is all him. I don't think the owner is saying we got to crack down on conduct, even if they haven't been punished, even if there's no legal authority to do so. That seems to be him. It happened before the latest CBA. It's happened since. He is the conduct commissioner, but as you yeah, said, and I've been, I've, I've told him this. I, I mean, with with limited response, which is, I don't think it's, you know, the criticism is really not too harsh or too soft as it was with Rice. It's really too arbitrary. 
And that's where we need the standards. And I don't know if that's the criticism he's getting from Jones or others, but we love standards and we love criteria where we can say, okay, that's it. Now I realize not every case is the same, but that to a fan I often hear is so frustrating where they just don't know. And I think, I think that explains the level of uh, frustration and uh, I think there's a certain amount of audience alienation. Uh, you know, there, there's a terrible fan rage towards Goodell. And it's because, you know, people can take a no, right? People can take a simple clear-cut no or a simple clear-cut yes. But this murkiness in between is what can breed real uh, dis- disaffection and dissatisfaction and suspicion and hostility. Right. And I, I think that, that his management of these disciplinary issues, because they have been so murky, uh, because he has uh, engaged, he's, he's gone so far beyond the bounds of what the rest of us recognize as basic justice, you know, the basic principles we are all raised on, which is, you know, where's the evidence? Uh, why, why can't uh, players confront, you know, clear-cut evidence? You know, why does it always have to be such a mystery, you know? Um, and I, 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 my personal suspicion, I, you know, my, my personal guess is that the commissioner acts this way because it's one of the few things he's truly in charge of. Hmm. And by God, he's going to put his personal imprint on it. And then Jones, you know, again, I have not seen any reports that have definitively said, and maybe you have or you know, that he wants Goodell out. Everything I've seen is structure of the deal, too long a deal, too many guarantees not enough performance incentive um i guess we're not going anywhere with this with a new commissioner right this is there are two things that jones wants i mean he may want someone else in the position we really haven't seen definitive statement on that but he clearly wants a different kind of compensation structure but i guess my point sally is as we sit here today with Arthur Bank, Arthur Blank and the Compensation Committee kind of saying, we're all good, we're going forward, Jerry can do what he's going to do. Are you surprised that Jones doesn't seem to have more people rallying behind him on this? I think he does quietly. You do? I do, yeah. I don't think he's alone by any stretch. I actually... Now, does he want the commissioner absolutely out? Uh, I'm not sure. I... I I don't know the answer to that question. Okay. Uh, I think he's profoundly dissatisfied with the commissioner, and I don't think he wants to commit another $200 to a commissioner that they may well decide is not their guy in 6 to 12 months. $200 million. You know? yeah. yeah, I mean, well, $200 million, Look, if they sign a contract with, with Cadell, I mean, I, apparently one of the things that has really upset Jones is he feels like the deal is being structured in a way that is obscuring the fact that there's a lot more guaranteed money in this contract uh, than people are realizing. Right. Easy I mean, you, right? Yeah. Now, my information is that the story, the, the Mortensen report yesterday and the Adam Schefter report about Goodell's contract demands is true. $49.5 million, private jet for the rest of his life health care for himself and his family for the rest of his life. I think a lot of owners do find that unseemly. I think they find it almost indecent. I think they didn't know about it. I think the story is true. And I think it's going to have some weight. I, mm-hmm. I'm not sure uh, that owners have had 
all of the information on this sort of thing. And my understanding from what, and this is just from what I've read from other very good NFL reporters, is that the language of the deal is structured so that you can't tell what it says. Hmm. So I, you know, if Jerry Jones is after some clarity on what exactly they're committing to and what exactly they're going to be paying this man, who has performed, I think, in an undeniably poor way, I mean, I think that's a perfectly legitimate viewpoint, and I think owners will, will listen, particularly because I think Jerry Jones tends to be right. I mean, I have killed Jerry Jones over the years. I mean, he can be a total clown in public. But on this stuff, he is almost always right. And I think that as you know, owners become privy to the financial negotiations, I think you'll find that Jones has more support than people uh, may be saying right now. Interesting. And as I said earlier, I can echo exactly what you're saying with Jones. Sitting in these NFL meetings, he was really the only one that would get up and challenge other owners in, in the room. And what particularly galled him was those that sat and got their one thirty second check every year and didn't put the effort into marketing their franchise the way he did. Uh, and because, as you talked about, this is a socialistic system Teams aren't getting more than any other team. And he was in the face of, for instance, uh, Cincinnati's Mike Brown or Indianapolis's Jim Irsay or Jacksonville at the time, Wayne Weaver. I mean, he would go after them. And it got very uncomfortable. But this is interesting uh, because now he is taking that to the highest levels. And I wonder, as you seem to suggest, maybe more than I know, if he's got the support. Well, you know, it all depends on – so if there are a bunch of owners out there who did not know what Goodell was asking for, then then you can see how, you know, Jerry Jones may well have more support than people realize. Because, you know, let's say let's say you're Mark Davis or let's say you're – you know, let's say you're someone who's not been on the compensation committee who hasn't been real – uh, you know, attuned to what's been going on, and all of a sudden, you know, you see those numbers yesterday and those demands, those contractual demands, and you're not feeling real good about Roger Goodell today because it is outrageous. Those demands, they are outrageous. You know, so that's that's my um, question: is what have you know? What have all of these, you know, businessmen? Uh, been thinking and been told about the contract negotiations. If, if the negotiations have been closely held by that committee, and they haven't particularly been talking to anybody about what's going on, uh, and this is new to a lot of owners, then that's, I think there's a lot left to be said and done here with yeah. the contract. You know, that, that's, that's simple. I mean, I, I, to me, that's not, you know, cloak and dagger secret stuff. That's basic. You know, how much information have owners had? And if Jerry Jones is saying, we want to know, you know, we want to see the contract, uh, we're not, uh, you know, what we understood from the outset back in May was that the things would be done under these parameters, and now we're hearing that, uh, you know, that's, that there's been a deal requested that's way outside these parameters. We want to know what's going on. I mean, to me, that's reasonable. That's not Jerry Jones flying in the face of, the way the league has always done things, that's basic business. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the devil's advocate I'll play with you is that, and again, this is not a great answer, but that's the way things have been done in the NFL, which Jones knows. For instance, yeah. when, there, when there's a report about stadiums, the stadium committee, six owners, they come into the a general meeting and say, we, we think this, this, and this, everyone rubber stamps it. 
the finance committee about a change in ownership structure at one of the teams or whatever says, we reviewed it, we think this, everyone says, cool. The compensation committee for the commissioner has been six owners, we think this, the 32 owners say, you think it, we we approve. Now, that is being challenged. Now, the Arthur Blank and the others are saying, at least sounds like they're saying, well, Jones, you agreed to all this. You agreed to the six-person committee, and we brought you in as an ad hoc member. But this is what we agreed to. So it sounds to me like Jones is maybe challenging this, this process of I, you have committees, I, and committees say this, and the owners approve. I think you're absolutely right about that. I mean, I think that is an underpinning here. And, in fact, if you go back and read a really, really good feature story interview with Jerry Jones from the Sports Business Journal when he was uh, named to the Hall of Fame back in, um, God, I, several weeks, I mean, several months ago now. But, right. Uh, last, I think it was last spring. Uh, you, will, you will see some interesting comments from Jones in that story about the committee work in the NFL among the ownership and how – it's been done that way for a long time, and there are some strengths to it, but there are also some real weaknesses to it, and he's not sure it's always the best way to go. Interesting. So I think you're, I think you're right on the money. I think this is something that has been eating at Jones for quite a while. I don't think he particularly thinks it's great uh, decision-making by the owners always. I'll tell you something else. If you've ever been on a board or if you've ever been mm-hmm. you know, uh, in any kind of small organizational setup – Let's say you're, you're on a board of nine people. Here's how it goes. Three people do all the work. Three people are sort of in the middle and can be pulled in either direction, and three people do nothing at all. And that's NFL ownership to yeah. the tune of, of 32 organizations. You know, you've got a small handful of owners who do all the work. You've got uh, another section of owners who sit right in the middle and can be kind of pulled in either direction. Right. And then you've got people who are coasting. Right. And Jerry Jones is in, in the leadership uh, of the group that does all the work. So, you know, I think I think that basically this is much bigger than Ezekiel Elliott. It's much bigger than just a, a, a right. you know, Jerry Jones, Roger Goodell locking horns. And where this do you think Jerry- it goes? I mean, that's I'll sort of leave it there because here, here we are Monday afternoon recording. Arthur Blank has put out some kind of statement, very bland, yeah. that the compensation committee met and, uh, you know, we're moving forward with the May resolution, whatever they decided in May, where I guess Jones agreed they'd move forward. So do you see this continuing to get held up? Do you see this as something that's bigger than whether Roger gets his contract or will he get his contract or, you know, I guess what I see is he'll get his contract, but it will, Jones will get some pound of flesh out of it. If not a complete rewrite. I think that's right. I I think you're right. I mean, I think Jones will get some concessions here. I think Jones has been trying to issue a wake up call to owners about these committees for quite a while. Uh, I think this is yet another instance of him doing that. It just happens to have gone more public uh, maybe because he took, you know, he wanted to take it public. I'm not exactly sure about, uh, you know, the public end of this thing. It's been the most surprising part because usually they do all of this under such, you know, secret, under their invisible cloak, right. you know. Right. <laughs> so, so it's very interesting that it's gone public. But, uh, you know, but it's obviously Jerry Jones issuing a real wake-up call to 
to owners and to these, particularly to the, the power invested in these committees, which I think he thinks is not such a great way of going about things. And so uh, I, I think you're right. I think Goodell will probably end up with a contract, but I bet you, I bet you, it's going to be a contract they can get out of if they decide in the next six months that they don't like hmm. where he's heading. I, I, I think he's been conducting the league business in a way that has really concerned some owners. I think they think that the league office is fat and uh, not operating with it and dysfunctional. You hear all kinds of things about ownership dissatisfaction with Park Avenue. Yeah. You know, how many layers of people have they had to hire to come in and manage these disasters? Well, certainly after Ray Rice, I mean, they hired a, a whole slew of domestic violence people. And then, yeah, I, I, listen, I, it's going to be an interesting process because I ha, we haven't even talked about one of these that came out in the ESPN report that just shocked me to no end, which is 17 owners got on a conference call. Uh, to talk about leadership. That, in my 10 years in the NFL, I never heard about a call that A, debated NFL leadership and senior executives, and B, excluded other teams. Uh, so that, to me, that shocked me. So I guess I'm coming around to saying, yeah, there is something to this. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, that's more than half the league, first of all, right? 17 owners. Right. Um, so um, that gets him well down the road towards 24 if he can get those 17 to agree. Look, don't forget, Jerry Jones got owners to finally agree on the L.A. deal. Oh, yeah. You know, he, he's one of the few people who can actually wrangle agreement out of a very, uh, you know, interesting and complex, you know, group of owners. So... You know, not everybody likes him all the time, but I think they do trust him. I think they do trust his judgment, you know, and, and that's the thing about Jerry Jones. The bombast is one thing and the brags right. and the money, but the judgment is quite another. And I, you know, I just think they'll listen to him. I really do. And, I, you know, how many of those people on, on the 17 person call, you know, does he really have their vote in his pocket? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but the fact that they got on the call is, as you say, uh, super interesting. Yeah, and you sort of balance that against the six-person uh, compensation committee that seems to be uh, Goodell's allies, stalwarts, some of his closest allies in Mara and Rooney and Hunt and Kraft, etc. And yes, I said Kraft even at, after the Tom Brady thing. Um, so we'll see where this goes. Sally, this has been awesome. Anything else? Sure. Anything else you want to add in... Uh, as we're uh, I would halfway just, through the I would, season here, I would just add that even owners who uh, appear to have supported Goodell publicly, they they do so to present a united front and out of a sense of obligation. But I, I can just tell you, I mean, you know this, there has been profound dissatisfaction with the performance of the commissioner and with the performance of the league office. I don't think they think he's really great at this job, mm. and I think that there will be some real soul-searching uh, about whether they want to commit this kind of money and, and make this kind of years-long commitment to this guy again. And I think that that is what Jerry Jones has set out to provoke, is some real thought about uh, if they do make another commitment to him, what should it look like? This is really bears watching, and we will. We'll be back with you to see where this goes. 
Hey, this was great. Thanks so much, Sally. Thank you, Andrew. Always fun to talk to you. Really hope you enjoyed listening to Sally as much as I did talking to a really deep dive inside the real issues behind Roger Goodell and Jerry Jones and ownership in the NFL, all the things that go into it. You can listen to all my podcasts, including one earlier this summer with Sally, on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, RossTucker.com, wherever you do hear your podcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt. I'll be back next week with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks for listening to The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.